Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, if there's any looting, I'm going into Pharaoh and Ball for some Wimborne White. <laughs> and maybe a little... <laughs> A little elephant breath, you know. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. Stage, stage, stage door Johnny. Not a lot of rhymes with Johnny. But here it is, stage door Johnny. Hello, and welcome to season two, episode one of Stage Door Johnny, the podcast about theatre and life and life in the theatre. It's great to be back. Thank you for joining me for my summer season. (laughs) Whenever I say summer season, the phrase drops me back through a trap door of time to a summer years ago when I filmed a TV show called Dr. Terrible's House of Horrible with one of my heroes, Steve Coogan, about two feuding end-of-the-pier summer season light entertainers. (laughs) And in which, as the rivalry between the two of them hotted up, I cut off Steve's character's legs, to which he responded, You can take my legs, but you will never take my summer season. (laughs) The phrase summer season always reminds me of that. Thank you for joining me. I've been in New York. I've been uh, doing a play. I've been putting my lack of money where my mouth is in regards to actually doing theatre as well as talking about it. And it was extraordinary. I had an extraordinary time, which maybe one day I'll tell you about. While I was there, I got to meet, sit down with, talk to incredible theatre artists. I'm so excited to share these conversations with you. Actors, writers, directors, composers. That's right. My first composers. And none greater than my first guest. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day, Laura Linney? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. That's right, for it is she. Laura Linney, Dame Laura of Linney. Could there be a better guest to start a season? Um, I don't think so. Um, Do I need to consult Wikipedia and tell you that she's been nominated for an Oscar... Uh, three times. She's won two Golden Globes, eight nominations. She's won two Independent Spirit Awards. She's won a bunch of Emmys. She's been nominated. Get this. She's been nominated for Tony five times. Now, come on, Tony. Come on. She's Laura Linney. She's one of the great actresses of the world. Mm, It'll happen. But, you know, just get a move on. Laura was doing a play on Broadway, new play at the Manhattan Theatre Club, called Summer 1976 with another American treasure called Jessica Hecht, two-hander, directed by the great Dan Sullivan, written by David Auburn, who wrote Proof. Do you remember Proof? Great play. And the two of them were just tearing it up. It was so fun to see them together. And Laura was lovely enough to invite me into a dressing room during the run of this show and talk to me. Now, look, Laura doesn't just 
talk beautifully about the theatre because she's fiercely bright and she's Laura Linney. She talks beautifully about the theatre because she really cares about it. Let me tell you something about Laura that we don't talk about. When she's filming, she calls the local drama school and just says, look, I'm here in town. Do you want me to come talk to your students about anything, do a workshop, masterclass. She's intensely involved with the institution that changed her life, Juilliard uh, Theatre School in New York. Uh, She mentors the fourth year students. We talk about that. She's in the business of changing lives of young people, drama students, in the way that her life was changed when she went to Juilliard. And I, you know, she walks it as well as talks it. And I am so, I so admire her for that. Here she is. Here's the great... Laura Lilly. Ladies and gentlemen of the Stage Door Johnny Company, we are back. This is your beginner's call. Ms. Linney and Mr. Cake to the stage, please. This is your season two beginners. We're here. Here we are. Laura, in your dressing room at <laughs> the are. Samuel J. Friedman Theatre on Broadway. And uh, you are doing David Auburn's play, uh, Summer 1976. And we're in your theatre. Yes. And yeah. we're in your dressing room, yes. which is the sort of inner sanctum, the Holy of Holies. Yeah. Tell me about the room. Do you need a certain thing from a dressing room? What do you, what do you need? No. Well, I need clean. Right. right. <laughs> that doesn't mean it has to be spiffy and fancy, but it does need to be clean. Right. Oddly enough, I'm in an unusual situation because I've done seven plays with Manhattan Theatre Club. Yeah. And I've done four or five in this theatre. And I've had this dressing room every time. Oh, wow. So it is, this is a, a, a beautifully haunted room for me as yeah. far as the past shows that I've, that I've done. Yeah. So it's nice to grow up in a space. Have you had any difficult experiences while you've been in this dressing room? Meaning the plays? Well, I think you always have difficult sure. moments. Creating something is not easy. And it's always, there's usually pain involved at one point or another. Right. You know, whether it's a crisis of confidence or nerves or frustration or a deep desire to get deeper when you just can't quite get there. So I think there's always, but in a healthy way, it's been a healthy space for me. Right. It's not been an unhealthy space for me. And right. I've certainly been there and we've all been there. Yes. But this has always been, this is a good place for Gosh, me. how yeah. great. Yeah. Are yeah. we um, sleeping? In this dressing room? Not overnight. This, there, there's a chair yes. in this room that looks like a large marshmallow, <laughs> it and it unfolds. Oh, lovely. And then I, I sleep on that. That's the Laura Linney equity cot? That's it. That's the I equity cot. And will you take a nap? Sorry to deep dive into yeah, your no, no. rituals, but will yes. you, two show days, will you yes. Will you have a Absolutely. little shut-eye? And sometimes I'll come here early ah. and sleep. I used to sleep underneath that. Did you? Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a mirror opposite. There are two mirrors on either side. It's not a large room. But it feels large because of the mirrors. Yeah. But it feels larger because of the mirrors. And there's a um, table, a sort of top with drawers. And underneath is a, not a, a space with not a lot of clearance. No. So you, but you would lie under there. Yeah, sort of like sleeping under a table. It's <laughs> right. a little bit. It's is little that sort of comforting? Den-like. Yeah. 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 And what else? What else do you need? Do you need to put out specific things? And does that change from show to show? It does change from show to show. Uh-huh. Sometimes also just research photos will go up all over the place. Right. Um, sometimes I will really decorate this place out. And they're like the only ones that made it for some reason are the four photos that are over there on the bulletin board. I'm playing a character named Diana. So that's Diana. Oh, that's yes, the so goddess Diana. Yes, the There's a Paul Clay 
picture to the right. Yes, there's a lot of discussion of Paul Clay, who's there's very a, important to you. There's a very desk. character in the play. Correct. There's a desk that we purchase in the play. Yes. So that is the exact desk. That's the desk. That is the desk. Oh, come on. Um, you have to know this play, which I had the great good fortune of seeing. I can't remember how long ago now. My brain is so scrambled by doing a play, or rather not doing yeah, a play. It's a whole other yeah, story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but the desk, oh, the desk is such an extraordinary thing. It's a, such a potent symbol mm-hmm. in this play. Your character and Jessica Hecht, it's, it's, it's a two-person play, and you go to buy a couch. You want her to buy a couch. I take her to a, you know, one of those rough-and-tumble antique yeah. places that yeah. they're filled with old furniture right. in Cleveland. Right. We are in Columbus, and we drive an hour. We have a very fresh new friendship. And we drive to Cleveland, and I'm trying to up her taste level. Yes, yes. I'm trying to introduce her to a different <laughs> way of living, a more a grander aesthetic, yes. a more to see what if you buy one good piece and put it in the room, how it will elevate the entire room, yeah. which is actually something my mother always used to say to me. Um, so it was funny. So they go there, and, sh- and um, Jessica's character spots a desk that she wants. I'm hoping she will find a, a sofa right. that will replace the one that is clearly not sufficient in Diana's right. mind. And so they buy a, um, a Bauhaus tubular steel design, 1930s and desk. And there it is. And Jessica's character can't afford it, so I buy it for her. Yeah. And it's sort of the first day where they truly sort of fall in love with each other as friends. Yeah. And so in some ways it's a token and a symbol of their yeah. friendship, this thing. It's not what you want her Mm-mm. to have Mm-mm. and the imposing of your sort of taste and sensibility yes. on yeah. her is a great theme throughout the play and something she resists jessica's mm-hmm. character resists and and yet you end up loving the idiosyncrasy of how she sees the world and yes. this desk is a magnificent yeah. representation of it. i'm so happy to see it that's bobby sherman who i have <laughs> who i have chosen as my representation of gretchen's father okay the glass blower yeah. My character has a, a child out of wedlock in, right. in the early 70s with a, a fellow student who right. doesn't know that he has impregnated her, and she has the baby on her own. She she goes on three dates with him, and that's it. So she talks about golden-haired, lush-lipped, <laughs> you know, so, and he was uh, a teen idol of mine. Bobby Sherman? Up, Bobby Sherman. Is he so, a pop star? Oh, yeah, he's an okay. American sort of thing. <laughs> So you had, <laughs> so, you had a so baby with is. Bobby Sherman. Yeah, so I have, you know, I had a fling oh, with Bobby Sherman goodness. in my mind. But I love doing stuff like this. I'm, yeah. I love going through, you know, my father was a playwright, so I, I love to see what playwrights give you. Right. Whether they're aware of what they're giving to you or not, which right. I find very interesting, because sometimes yeah. they're not even aware of what they're doing um, in the best way. I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean that in a really magical way. Yeah. Um, so I love finding, like, really knowing not skipping a step. So when they say the desk, what is the desk? Right. What does the desk look like? Right. Really, what is the desk? Right. So when we talk about the desk, it will color your voice, yeah. it will color your the way you move, so that there's a specificity to, to it that can make your, hopefully, your communication to it and your relationship to it sort of precise and crisp. So I have tons of stuff. I'm, I, I turn into a, a real script nerd for a good portion, and then I leave it alone, and then I put it down. Do you ever have an innate sense of what isn't useful to you? Did you, for example, envision Doug, watching you play Doug so well? Doug is the Jessica Heck character's 
husband, and you get to embody him on stage. And you do it so well that I, I'm desperate to know whether you want to play any other male parts. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. Okay, yeah, yeah. But is it helpful for you, for example, to you, – you've gone with a picture of Bobby Sherman yeah. for, for the father of your child. Yeah. But would it be helpful, for example, to – know what he yes, looks like. Absolutely. Right? What okay. everyone looks like, as okay. we mentioned, okay. who we don't see. I have a very precise right. idea of all of it. Wow. And the house. Usually, like, I'll design Diana's house, like the house that she lives in in Columbus. Like, I did a floor plan. So when she says, you can't go into my art studio, I know where the art studio is. Oh, wow. I know what the windows are there. Like, I just... And it's the fantasizing all of this that I just find fun. Yeah. You know, I, I can see it's sort of an arts and crafts, sort of square... Midwestern Ohio house. And then there are all the hints that are in the script that if you really just sit with and you ask yourself, why, 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 why? She has all these nice homes. And you learn that she's a part-time art instructor. And then she says, at one point, there's the hint that she has family money. So I was like, oh, she buys these places. She doesn't rent somewhere. And so if she has that kind of money, then she's from wealth. She's not just, she doesn't just have family money. So she buys this $300 desk for her like it's nothing. And then there's a slight reference that Jessica says that my character uses the term monetary instrument. So why? Who uses that? Only people in banking use that. So how would an artist, a painter, know that term? Oh, it's her family. So then you're like, oh, and then it all starts to grow. And then you're like, oh, she's from tremendous wealth. Tremendous wealth. So I decided banking. I decided East Coast. I decided Dutch because banking, sure. Dutch, why not? She speaks French. Yes, so why yes. does she speak French? She's been to Europe. She's been there. She has references to literature in an old school kind of way. And then the doors just start to fly open. And then you just roll with it. And then usually it webs out into the script and you see how it's all connected. And I find that exhilarating. When it starts to crack open like that, I love it. I love it. And I find it so fun. And then there was just the thing where the names of the characters, Diana and Alice, they both mean the same thing. The meaning of the name means to shed light on the truth. That's one meaning of the name. And that's nothing that David did on purpose. It's just like from the unconscious of the symbolism of our collective unconscious, he chose those names. You know, so I find that all so interesting. And I love seeing, like, where does that lead you? If these are the given circumstances that you've unearthed from the script, that come from the script, it will just inevitably lead you in the right direction. Because your world is so comprehensive, the world you excavate from the Mm -hmm. play, do you ever feel the need to share it with other people, negotiate it with no, Jessica or with Dan, I, I Sometimes it depends. A lot of the stuff I keep just absolutely right. just to myself. Right. Right. It's right. just like right. my own right. little delicious secret. Right. But it also gives me a real appreciation for the architecture of a booth. Yeah. To see like how it hangs together. And then you can also feel where it needs help. Like something here stops. Like why is this, was something cut out here huh. that needs to be put back in? Like, why does it feel like this was cut and pasted? Did that happen with this play? There was one scene that that Jessica and I were both having a a rough time with, and it was a big bridge scene. And we could get up to that point, and we could go after it, but there was one scene that just wasn't quite... And so we we requested that there was a little work that was done on that, which which happened. Great. Yeah. 
thankfully, you know, David was willing to do that. And yeah. It, it helped us tremendously. How are you at the moment in the course of the run of this play? Yeah, I find you here talking so wonderfully passionately about, you know, the play and the secret life mm-hmm. that informs the life we see on stage, which mm-hmm. is so full. Now Thank it makes you. complete Thank sense. You. And I also feel Thank desperately you. unprepared for mm. my own performance. But um, <laughs> uh, I've got a lot of work to do in a short space of time. But how do, how do I find you sitting here Today, at this course of the run, are you exhausted? Right. Yes. Are you feeling... I am exhausted. Yeah. I am. And how does that affect you? You know, it's the thing about the theater that it's the blessing and the curse of the theater. Not even a curse, really, but just the element of time. Right. What time does. And that's why I love the theater. Because there's time is the magic element that the other art forms don't have. Hmm. We have, hopefully, a few months to work on something. It will magically, chemically alter a piece. Like a play becomes a living thing. It sort of lifts up and off the page, and it becomes this living thing, and then it grows. And then it grows. You do it every night, and it becomes richer and deeper and more detailed. Mm. And also sort of like a, um, a Chinese puzzle, it will unlock itself once you get to a certain level. Like there'll be one set of problems that you'll have. You'll conquer that, you'll solve that, Mm. which only leads to the unlocking of another set of problems that you've graduated to, that you could never have even understood at the basic level. And as the show goes on, more things unlock and unlock and unlock, I find, for me. Okay. You know, if the show is working, if you're in a disaster, which we've all been in, then it's just like being flayed alive and you're inert (laughs) and you hate yourself and everyone around you and you want to throw yourself off a bridge and you just feel... Like you're injecting the beast that is the theater with a deadly virus and feel <laughs> your, your, your ego and your sense of self and everything is just, you know, in the gutter. But when it's going well and when the play has something truly artistically viable in it, yeah. within it, it will, I find, it will unlock. And particularly, you know, I'm working with just a great actress. Yeah. I'm a Jessica Hecht is just a great Great actors. The two of you together and, are spectacular. You know, I'm, I cannot imagine doing something like this with anyone else. I mm. mean, thank God. You know, we really love each other yeah. and we have such a good time. Palpable. And we work very differently and I love that. Mm. I'm not someone who thinks everyone should work in the same way or that people should work the way I work. I don't care. They don't want to do script work. Fine by me. Right. I, I don't bug, you know. But I'm fascinated to see like how people come up with the inspirations to find what they find. Are there parts of the play you still don't understand? Do you need to understand everything? No, Or can things remain mysterious? They can remain mysterious. Uh And usually I find that, like, I'm just not ready to understand it yet. I have to earn that. Right. And maybe by the time... Usually, you know, the last performance... Yeah, right. (laughs) Maybe not the last one, because the last performances are always weird. But that last week... You're like, oh. I was fine. Oh. It's the week after when yeah. I'm loading the dishwasher. Absolutely. The Friday know, after you I know, close. I You're know. like, oh, Isn't Jesus. It, Jesus, God. Yeah. I know exactly how to do yeah, it now. exactly. But at least you get to that point as opposed to working on a film set where you get a half hour with the material. When you know, the so. play isn't successful or yes. when it's not, it feels <laughs> difficult. Yes. Do you, do you ever think that... It can get better. Do you do you feel like there are ways no. you can carry? Oh no, it's an no. alchemy that works or doesn't work. Correct. I find now there are tricks to help you get through it. What are those tricks? Well, you know, like I was in one 
painfully bad production of Hedda Gobbler that was just, it was so bad. It was so bad. It made everything about it was just terrible. It did not work. It was awful. Everyone was miscat. I mean, it was just one of those. A delight mare is what we call it. A delight mare. And those things that when you're in it, you just think, dear God, just let me die now. But when you're on the other side of it, you feast on it for decades sure. because it's just it's a much better story in the world would ever have thought that that would happen <laughs> to such a disastrous degree. But once you sort of surrender and you're like, okay, this does not work. It is not going to work. How do I survive this? How do I not waste my time? Yes. How do you not the waste time, your time? The t- and then there's the element of time again. Yeah. You have that sort of thing. You create little things for yourself to do. Like uh, every night I would pretend my ears were this big, ooh, literally like I would have huge, huge big, huge ears. And how does that affect someone? You know, like wow. how does that make someone like turn their head to hear something? Like I would go through the senses and like heighten one sense over the other and see what would that do? Like if I could really see, like really clearly, <laughs> <laughs> or if I could just smell things, you just do acting exercises right. just to get, because if it ain't going to work, it ain't going to work. And I'm not going to change things so right. drastically, but just subtle little things that just to keep me engaged uh-huh. so that I don't give up. Yeah. You know, so that I don't just become lazy and surrender. Joanne Woodward, who you played so brilliantly, yes. the last oh, movie stars, you. brilliantly. Yeah. I love that documentary so much because it was, it was really like a theater good, piece. It? it was know. like a theater piece. He did a, Ethan did a, I thought he did a job magnificent job. Yeah. She talked about, I think, too, I think Ethan may have told me this, and whether she said it to him, I'm not quite sure whether it was a reported story. About being in something that wasn't working. This was about me. This was, she said it to me. She did say it to you. She said it to me. And that's where I learned it. She said, there's nothing. I had her come to a disastrous production. She, because I desperately needed help and was, I was despondent and I was just in agony. I was a young actress and really ashamed and, uh, you know, thought my life was over. What was the show? Do you mind me asking? it, It was... Well, there were two of them. <laughs> there was Hedda Gobbler and there was the seagull. I wondered if it was the seagull yeah. with Ethan Hawke. Yeah, with Ethan. It was really more Hedda, but for the documentary, Ethan tilted it more towards the show that we shared together. But it was both shows. And I, she came to, I begged her to come see it. I said, look, it's terrible. You're going to have to sit through hours of, you know, something really bad and boring. But would you please come? And she said, of course I will. So she came, and I was expecting her to come backstage afterwards, and there was a knock on my room door, and someone said, Miss Woodward will be doing her car. <laughs> and I thought, okay. So I, I got ready. Like I, a drug I got deal. in the car, and she's like, hello, dear heart. Hi. She just, la 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 talk, blah, 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 just small talk all the way up to her apartment. We went up to their apartment, which was on Fifth Avenue. It was a beautiful yellow living room. And we sat, and she got me some lemon cookies and some tea. She sat me down. She went, well, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> and I was so stunned. that I, I thought for sure she was going to hand me the answer. Right. For sure she was going to tell me how to fix it, right. that it would be okay. She's like, there's nothing you can do. She's like, you just have to learn to get through it. So figure out for yourself how you get through it. So I took that. I was like, okay, so, so what do I do? And then I started all the little weird games. Like one day I pretended my eyelashes were like four feet long. So, <laughs> I mean, at least, you know, it was entertaining. I love you this. Know, like, like if I blinked my eyes, would I tickle someone? Like could it touch somebody? Like what, you know, People so the like, ears being big, like 
you know, you just you just do these ridiculous games with yourself right. that are also somewhat nurturing. Yeah. And make it keep you fun alive. And keep you alive as opposed to uh, you want to like slit your wrists. I which love you do. that she was sort of no, it's an inert yeah. corpse. That's right. It, no defibrillator is bringing this back. Don't waste your time. Wow. Don't self right. flagellate yourself trying to make something work that just does not work. And sometimes it doesn't work. Right. It's, there's no guarantee yeah. that it's going to work. Every time you engage in this, it's you've got to be like, what's going to happen now? And sort of every time I go on stage, I try to say to myself, like, what's going to happen tonight? <laughs> like, right. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, like, I may have learned the lines and the thought behind the line, and I may have done all my work, and but then you throw it away. You're like, right. I don't know what's going to happen now. Right. And it becomes a sort of abdication of ego, I guess, right? To not mm. think that you can somehow save it. Yeah, you no, can put you can. it on your Absolutely. back, and somehow that's right. You can shine like no. a diamond in the middle yeah. of this turd. Yeah. And, it's, and it's the same thing when it's going well. It's not about you either. Right. Gosh. You know, it's a whole weaving together of yeah. elements that happen to work. It happens to work. Yeah. You know, but it's not one thing. It ain't one person. Right. It's a whole feast of things that are going on. And either the meal is great or it is really not. <laughs> totally. You know? And how so, do you avoid going, you go on every night and you, and you throw away all the deep, deep yeah, work. You have done. to, you can't, you can't play a note. Sure. You can't play your research. You can't do any of that. It feeds it. It's sort of like a foundation. Right. How do you avoid doing that? Mark Ryan's thing that he said about, they don't want to see last night's performance. Correct. Exactly. How do you, do you actively right. play games with yourself to change things? Do no, you no, but kill your babies if you're getting great laugh on a particular no, line? It's, it's like, what's going to happen tonight? It's that sense. It's like being knowing stops you dead in your tracks. So you sort of have to put yourself out on a limb yeah. to be a little scared and be out of control that way. It's a fresh pursuit. You, yeah. You have to sort of feel like You've done all the work that will hold you, that there is a safety net, but you're going to move around in it. It's going to be okay. You have to like somehow convince you, like, it's going to be okay. <laughs> but it does feel fresh, because when it doesn't feel fresh, then it's, yeah, who wants to see that? Worse, I don't want to see that, and I don't want to do that. And it's also a little bit about delight. Huh. I think you have to be somewhat delighted by what you're seeing, what you're in, what you're feeling, yeah. the table that you're at. And then there's the whole integration of an audience, which is a, a thing that I've been still learning about. I've done two plays now back-to-back -back that are direct address. And that was always something that scared the shit out of me, yeah, was right. looking out into an audience. I would literally... Like, I'm the actress who's always sort of facing upstage. <laughs> I, I hate a curtain call. I, I'm, it's just not who I am. Huh. And I have directors who are constantly saying, like, Laura... Turn around. <laughs> Turn around. Take your bow. Get to the center of the stage and take your bow. You know, I just am not. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I just, it makes me uncomfortable. Right. I don't know. It just makes me uncomfortable. And I, I want to say thank you to an audience, but absolutely, and that's what it is. But I just, I get, I get embarrassed. And maybe it's something to do with, I, I, I'm speculating, mm -hmm. your, your imaginative life doesn't include That's correct. all the people sitting in front That's of you. That's right. That's right. They're that not there. Right. No, they're not there. So why am I suddenly so, talking to them? Correct. But in the last two shows I've done, they are there. Yeah. And particularly this piece. Right. I mean, Lucy, my name is Lucy Barton was the, the one woman show that I did before this. Mm. And I did it in London and I did it here at this theater. And it was sort of a gentle raveling of a story. It was gentle. 
this is active, in your face, deeply engaged with mm. the audience in a way that you are, we are on our front foot. Lucy Barton is obviously a, a help in terms of yeah. loosening you up for that, but this is a different This is a very different and I caliber of that. And interestingly, I could never have done this unless I had done Lucy Barton. Uh, okay. Thank God I did Lucy Barton. Yeah, right. Because I could never have done this unless I had had the time breaking down that fear of mine. And now does it feel more comfortable to include the audience? It or? does. Okay. It does. It seems. You know, it does. Second nature. Yeah. And now it's very, they very much dictate the rhythm of them. People love it too. It's very delicate, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, having done a lot of Shakespeare where there yes. are these crazy moments where yes. you suddenly turn yes. and break the fourth wall <laughs> and go, can I just tell you yes. how I'm feeling? Yeah. It's extraordinary. People yeah. are confused. Often there's a yes. sort of electrical confusion in the room. What yes. are we looking at here? Yeah. But if you, the, the word you use, delight, is so great. Yeah. Or perhaps the other side of that, if there's something that isn't delightful you have to share, but the need to share it suddenly makes the audience feel like, oh, Christ, yeah. this is and personal then, to me. And then there's, are you sharing it to the audience that's one right. creature? Right. That sort of moves as one? Or are you talking to all these individual people? Jesus Christ. So it's... And that will affect things as well. Because when it's just one person, yeah. one thing, one amoeba, you can sort of wax and wane and the voice can get a little sing-song, yeah. which is okay. And then it's just like you're talking into the void of the audience. Yeah. As And then other times when it's really specifically people, then it's much more precise and it affects your language and it affects it affects all of it. It's so interesting So what do me. you do with this show? With this show, it's more individual. Do you pick yeah. a particular person to talk Occasionally. to? Occasionally. And because audiences are louder now. Yes, they are. You know, I can, it, this piece allows me to, if there's a noise in the house, I can look right, right there. I don't have to pretend I don't hear it. Yeah. And a lot of times there, there are times that oddly have worked out so that I will hear a noise or someone will make something and it will fit into the language of the play. Opening night. There was a phone that went, you know, the phones, the phones. Always the phone. with the phone. There, I was in the, the monologue about the art student who I get pregnant by. Yeah. And I say, you know, I avoided him on campus. I ignored his phone calls. Eventually, he got the message. So opening night, I avoided him on campus. Phone rang. And I was like, I ignored his phone call. <laughs> and I was able to look right at the person. You know, yeah. and oh, so this this piece allows that to you can do that. And was Lucy but the same? Did you pick individual people no. to talk to? Because that's no. you, just you, a one-person no. show. I don't think I had the skill to do that at the time, honestly. Mate, um, it's the last show my mom ever saw. Oh, Johnny. Oh, I'm so... Oh, no, that means no, a lot. No, no, it was, it was extraordinary because she... It was one of the greatest nights of her life oh, in the theater. I mean, if you could, the idea that you, you know, might think I didn't have the skill to do that. I mean, she thought it was just oh. the greatest thing. So, oh, I'm so glad. Please don't, it. don't oh, ever that think Thank that uh, it didn't work because I know you, you know, it did. Anyway, it was a wonderful memory for her and for me. Oh, how wonderful! I still always feel like I have so much more to learn. Mm. I have so much more to learn, mm. and I just hope I have the time to be able to do mm. it. Isn't that one of the great privileges when you talk about the time being yeah. the great secret weapon of the theatre? You're obviously built for the repetition of it, mm -hmm. the growing of it, the learning more about it. Mm -hmm. The seeing, as I always think, it's like if it's a great play, walking around 
an art gallery and seeing yeah. a piece from a different angle, angle to right. me. And also, you only learn by doing. I mean, you don't learn by sitting in your head and doing. Right. <laughs> you just don't. I'm sorry. So you, you say know, you have more the, to learn. Yeah, yeah, And of yeah, course, yeah. don't we all? But do you think you have particular shortcomings? Oh, absolutely. Of course I do. Is it terrible oh, for get, me to ask you No, I think they I are? can get indulgent. I think I can... I can hang on to the language too hard. Huh. I, I feel like there's a there's a basic insecurity between my thoughts and my execution, and I'm constantly trying to to smooth that out, to let that circulate a little more, to have a little more freedom between the instinct, the knowledge, and the execution. Do you mean your brain will interpose itself a little bit? Yeah, and physically, I'll feel myself tighten. I'll feel my throat tighten. I'll, I know not to do that. And there's something that gets in between my relationship to the actual doing of it that I'm constantly trying to be better at. And I feel like I can be so much better at it. And I just haven't been yet. Wow. <laughs> so I always feel like there's so much more to do. And then like how I sort of love one of the great privileges of going between filming and theater is like how, how big can I be on screen and how small can I be on stage? Mm. How do I use the film work to mm. make the theater work better? How do I use the theater work to make the film work better? They're cousins. They're not the same. They're just not. You know, acting for film and acting for the theater is just not the same. Totally. But they're all, it's all sort of interconnected. And I, you know, I have a fun time thinking about all that yes. stuff. And then, and then uh, oftentimes I'll spend a lot of, you know, ridiculous self-indulgent time trying to work on something that's not appropriate and it doesn't work. So throw it out <laughs> and stop. You know? Does it bother you? Too. Does it stick with you? Is it hard for you? How much of your day does it dominate thinking about? How to do these things better? Uh, a good amount. Like you're in the run of this show. It's been a huge you're, success. You're doing it. You're exhausted. Are you still taking it home? Oh, I'm still working on it. You know, there's it's the undertow. You yeah. wake up in the morning, and the minute your eyes flap open, like it or not, there's the undertow. Mm. And it starts, and it pulls you all day long until you get to the stressing room. <laughs> the stressing and room. And then the stressing room. And then the fear <laughs> of doing it starts. And then there's a whole other energy that kicks in. You're making me feel palpably you know, sick it's, just, <laughs> just talking about I this. I know. It's wild what we put ourselves through and then what we enjoy about it. Yeah. You know? Like Bill Nye said, it's doing a play is like agreeing to be ill for three months. And it really is the case. You have so your true. play right Yeah, it is there. right there. And then there'll be nights that you just are so furious with yourself for blowing something. And then... And then this is where, you know, you have to learn how to forgive yourself. You have to really be kind to hmm. yourself. Have you got better at that? Are you good at a that? A little bit. I'm a little better about it. I am. I am. It's the joy of age uh, and the joy of doing it for so long. Right. Is that, like, I've been in situations before. I've survived really bad productions before. Like, I know it will be okay. Right. I know it's an encapsulated period of time. This doesn't feel good. It's always going to be painful. It's not less painful, right. but I can deal with it better. And I know how to not waste the time. I was listening to a podcast you were on coming up town here. Uh And uh, it's great. As I said, it's one of the great privileges of doing this podcast is having this walk around. Okay. And I just, I just have to say, I I just have to say thank you because I love your podcast. I was thrilled like that you called. I was completely thrilled that you asked because I've been looking, been looking for like, where is the theater podcast? Where is it? Where is the podcast that I want to listen to? Where is the person who's talking to other artists about the stuff that we all think about? Yeah. Where is it? So I just want to say 
Thank you. Bless and you. I almost didn't do it with you today because I love listening to it so much. I thought, like, do I do I want to? Is this going to ruin it? It's going to, you know, I, I I felt like I was invading on something oh, that I I shouldn't be involved oh, in. I'm so, so glad you, know, you, you enjoyed it. But honestly, thank you. Oh, you thank sweetheart! You, thank you. It's it's, it's been such a revelation to me. It really has. It's it's been so great. And and I I do think when I'm standing on stage, I do think this is sort of the best use of me. But, but this other little side hustle. Well, that's not that's not true. I don't think it's the best use of you. I think it's oh. you're, you're doing a wonderful thing. You're a fantastic. Actor. No, I, I mean, standing yeah. on. I mean, being on stage feels like it's there. The best yes. Thing for me. Okay. I thought you meant just oh, this no, podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> no, I was going to say no, no. <laughs> no I no. feel like I feel like the podcast is is also oddly. I don't know. Well, it just like, feels like something that has always compelled me, yes. always fascinated yeah, me. Yeah, and most yeah. of all, you, you know, I would have conversations with someone like you over bottles of wine that would drift off into yes. the Connecticut yeah. night, and we That's would right. never You'd remember have one them sentence somewhere. You remember yeah. one great sentence. Yeah, yeah. And I love that the plays are ephemeral. I love yeah. that the plays go. I love that they're yeah. only there for those people who experience yeah. them. But I was sad to lose the chats. Yes, and absolutely. And I'm so, so happy no, to have it's fantastic that you're doing this. It's fantastic. It feels very meaningful to me. Thank you. Bless you. So, look, let's go all the way back to come forward. Okay. Shall we? <laughs> sure. Do you remember the first time you were in a theatre? Now, I know this is complicated for you because, of course, your father was celebrated playwright. Mm -hmm. And so, presumably, you were around... Mm -hmm. His world. I was. Is there one sort of going, or, or were you always looking up the sort of wizard's sleeve? Was there never a sort of moment where you found yourself entering an auditorium and the lights going down and well, thinking? Well, my parents divorced when I was an infant. So my mother was a nurse at Sloan Kettering, sure. which is a renowned cancer hospital here in New York City. And I lived with my mother in nursing housing on, right, the, right. on the east side. And my father lived on the west side. And, so, and I would see him on the weekends. So I was in and out of that world of the theater, which I always instinctively knew from such an early age that I desperately wanted to be a part of. Mm. And it was the rooms, it was the buildings, it was the places themselves. It was being young and watching these temperamental actors, huh. <laughs> you know, because during that period of time, like temperament was rampant. The mm. whole culture was very different. The theatrical culture, people were yelling and screaming and fucking each other and <clears throat> drinking. And I mean, it was just like a whole, like, wow, emotional cloud of thing. That was, and people were very passionate and very intense about things. And that wasn't terrifying to a young girl? Oh, no, it was. Pudding? Oh, sure. It was that as well. Uh -huh. I mean, that part of it was. Right. And then there was the quieter part of it, which is what I loved. And I uh, loved going to the theater. Right. I love going to the theater. Yeah, a I lot of actors don't. No, I love but it. But I, I mean, there is nothing that makes me happier than walking into a theater. Mm. I just love mm. it. And was there, a, was there ever a time, a thing you saw early on that made you feel... I mean, I know you were sitting in on rehearsals and yeah, you were, were around it. You know, I just worked with Kathy Bates on the movie. Right. And I was able to say to her, like, you know, I saw the original production of a play called Vanities, which was at St. Clement's Church. And I remember that. With Kathy? Yeah, with Kathy in it. That I so remember. You know, it's not the deepest play in the world, but it opened up my brain in a way for some reason. You said something wonderful about seeing, being in on your dad's rehearsals. Yeah. And seeing great actors do great stuff, but also seeing people not being 
yes. very good, or yes. not be, or not quite affecting you in a way that you were expecting to yes. be affected, mm-hmm. and that that was very very helpful, formative and helpful. I, at I an early actually age. enjoy seeing shows that don't work. Yeah, me too. I actually love seeing like why is that not working? I sit there thinking, yeah. what's yes. my alternative yeah, version what, of this? What, why is that really good actor struggling? That's a really good actor, and what is it? What's the dynamic that has just tilted this? What direction? What have, what's been said to them? Why is the set overpowering? What is a, a set that's out of control effect to play? Like, I find that all, I just find it all fascinating. Yeah. You know, I just love, I love all of that. Yeah. So I don't find any of it a waste of time. Huh. You know? Well, of course, this begs the question of the jumping forward, but mm-hmm. you're so smart. You have this extraordinary passion for the, the form. Do you want to direct a play? No. I kind of don't because I don't think I understand uh, a visual picture. I don't think I'd be good at that. I mean, maybe I would, but I I sort of doubt it. And I remember saying to myself at one point, I must go to museums more. I must go look at paintings more to see composition, Mm. to help with that, Mm. to see like what, how perspective and color and like what thickness of paint, what does that do to tell the story. How does the story sort of unlock visually what I'm saying? Like Dan Sullivan, who I've worked with now four or five times, who I adore. We did the little boxes here a few years ago. And there was a moment where we, you know, you go into a rehearsal room and the greatest feeling in the world is walking into a room and seeing tape on the floor. It makes me so happy. I just, <laughs> I love it so much. It's like an a old shitty room that's dirty with tape on the floor with a set that's marked out and there's... To explain, yeah. stage management mark out what the set will be in the rehearsal room with tape on the floor yes. so that you yes. can see where the door is, yes. you can see... And it's usually you, a bright blue tape or it's a right, masking tape right. that has color to it. Right. And, it, and, and then there's, magical, you know, they're deli cups for coffee, paper deli cups yeah. and pencils. and around. You know, it just makes me so happy. So you rehearse on this flat surface, you know, with an idea of what the set is. They'll show you a model of the set so you can have a sense of where you're going to be moving and what, if you can three-dimensionally sort of imagine what it is, which you never can. And then you move into the theater and it's a whole new world. And I, I, I wasn't aware that Dan had created, and this is where a theatrical mind exposes itself. Every once in a while, you meet someone with a theatrical mind. Arthur Miller had a theatrical mind. He was aware of the voices, like the symphony that he was creating with different voices. It was doing the Crucible was, I I learned so much. But with Dan, similarly, there was a moment we were in, I think it was a dress rehearsal. I I was at this one moment that everyone was on stage. I was like that clever motherfucker. Look what he did. He put me in a position as Regina. That I did not have to move. I was in such a powerful position. He had created like a court that I was totally unaware of in the rehearsal space. But on that set, at that moment, he had created a a visual dynamic that did 90% of the work for me. And I remember thinking, that clever motherfucker. Right. Look what he just did. And that's something that you don't (gasps) think. You you feel like there's a particular type of person who sees the theater in a 360-degree way that you don't ever feel like. I think that they understand all the elements involved to such a heightened degree. Yeah, yeah. Now, do I think I would be a better director than someone off the street? Yes. Sure. Do I think I would really be able to create something theatrical? Not just pedestrian, right. but theatrical. Yeah. Would I be good with actors? Yes. Yeah. That I, that I have no doubt about. I think I'd be very good with that. 
but the rest of it, which is so important. Yeah. Let's talk about Dan, who I adore, oh, too. God, he directed me in Coriolanus in 2019 in the park, and I thought mm-hmm. he was just amazing. But but there is something interesting about Dan. Tell me if you think mm-hmm. differently, because you have said, you know, you'll do anything he asks he you would, to do. And... He whispers, I will show up. I mean, honestly, <laughs> I don't even have to read it. So, like, so to I mean, I found a sort of something happening a little bit by osmosis. Yes, he doesn't tell you a whole lot. No. No. He's very quiet. And is that what mm-hmm. suits you? Do you what, what do you want from a director? And what don't you want from a director? Well, it depends on the director. And it depends on the piece. Mm. But the one thing I will say about Dan, he's the most patient director I've ever yes, worked he, with. Yes, he is. He just, he sits there with a music stand and a script there. And you see him just watch. You see those eyes darting around. You see the thoughts happening. He'll look at the scripts. He'll watch you. And he is so patient. He's unbelievably patient. And it's a true gift. Richard Ayer is a little like this as well. Right. He will let you find it. He knows that when the other elements sort of rise up, that you will find it. Uh, he gives you that opportunity. Yes. So you leave a better actress than you were at the beginning. It's a real gift. Yes. For someone who's not trying to like give you all the answers right away and take it away from you and the process is just gone. He lets you, He also knows that then the discovery that the actor makes will be deeper, and consequently the action will then be more potent from that moment on, mm. as opposed to just giving someone something. Mm. Then it's not, it doesn't come from them. It doesn't marry the intention and what the director wants them to do with what the actor has to offer. Mm. And when those two things are married, that's when it's organically all connected. So I love Dan's insane patience <laughs> and particularly with this because jessica and i were looking at each other like oh my god there's there's a table and there's chairs <laughs> and that's all we have we're not gonna no be protection like this <laughs> and he was you know in typical dan fashion he you know there is the, the osmosis that you were talking about the sort of invisible hand i call it you know, it's great guess. humility about it, oh too. Oh, my God. He would say to me, I don't really know this play. He didn't know this yeah, play that we did together. Yeah. And I feel like I'm learning about it slowly. Yes. I didn't know whether, because I had done the play before, and I wondered, right. in retrospect, yeah. whether that was a wonderful little, you yeah. know, let's both learn about this play yeah. together. I don't know. Yeah. Whatever no, it was, felt, felt no, effortless, I, and I also, know. as I said, deeply humble. And he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to talk about it. And I, you know, and that's where you learn by doing. Yeah. I mean, he will talk about things when you, when yeah. you get to a moment yeah. when something needs to be unpacked. Mm-hmm. When you hit a moment that you don't understand or that isn't working or you need, you need some education about it, then he's great. But he's not going to, you know, do it. Have you ever had a rattle? No, I have, I have forced an issue here or there with him, which he listens to. And yeah. sometimes I give it up and sometimes he lets me move forward with it so we res- we respect each other tremendously right. i just i just adore him um, oh, yeah. great so it's hard yeah. to say what you want from a director apart from dan well, sullivan by just saying the name yeah well dan i just sullivan. want dan sullivan sure you know but i think everyone has something interesting to offer don't want people so, to tell you what they think too soon i certainly don't mind i want someone to let me have a process and I'm not going to take advantage of someone's time. I'm not going to be a time sucker. I'm not going to do that. But do give me a minute to figure something out. But I'm absolutely fine with someone saying, this is what I want to do with this piece. This is how I see it. And if someone's prepared, 
I want someone to be prepared. Yeah, That's sure. the one thing. Right, right, right. You know, right. like, I, I, please Tell don't don't it. make me do a trust exercise <laughs> when I, I just, I mean, I, I, don't make me do the repeat exercise. Don't, I, let me get to work. Let's get to work. Right. You know, like, okay, I get it, but let me, and then there's something heartbreaking when a director is just terrified. When they're scared, when they're either oh, scared yes. of you. Yes. Do you have that? Yeah. Do directors I make get scared people of you? Nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I don't mean I think, to. I, think I, do I too. don't want to, but I make people nervous. Yeah. And I have to remind myself that I make people nervous. Uh-huh. And usually, I've done a lot more work than they want. Right. And an actor and a director are not going to work the same way. They're going to prepare in a very different way. But when they're basics, things that are not. When you realize, oh, they don't, they haven't figured this part out yet. And then, and then I have to take a very deep breath and give them the opportunity to, to grow with it as well. So I try and, I try and do that. But that can be a little frustrating. You know, too knowing, just too knowing. A plan is great. Yeah. An idea is great. Right. A direction is great. Right. Too knowing. Right. Stops you in your track and doesn't let you contribute. I think we all want to contribute. Yeah, to be a collaborator with yes. someone is the most yeah. extraordinary and wonderfully yes. empowering thing, isn't yes, it? Yes, absolutely. And, ever... and that doesn't mean going against what someone wants to do. Like, mm, I'm sure. all for a director who has a very clear vision right. and what they want and the, what they're working towards. Great. Right. Nothing is ever going to be what someone thinks it's going to be in their head. Never. No. Because they're human beings involved. And you have the combination of this human being with that human being, and then you have those two human beings on that set, and then you have those human beings with that set saying those words in whatever city you're in and whatever the temperature is of that audience, you don't know what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. You can try and and send it in that direction, and Godspeed, let's, let, let's hope it, let's see if it works. But if it doesn't, then you got to adjust. You have such tremendous facility. You're so yeah, kind, insanely gifted, and you do so much work. Is there ever a problem with a director that they can't improve you? Or is that not... No, there's always... I can always improve. But do you ever feel that... Always improve. Sure, but do you ever feel that that's an issue that directors think, she doesn't need my help? Yes, that does happen. And my heart sinks. Uh Or people are afraid to say something. Right. And, And the thing is, is that I remember when I figured out, you know, it's a very obvious thing to figure out. But when I was a young actress, I thought everyone was going to talk to me the way that my acting teachers would talk to me. I thought they had that facility and that understanding and that vocabulary. And they don't, nor should they. And then I realized they shouldn't have to. So when I learned like, okay, take what someone is saying to me. Don't be offended that it sounds however it sounds, either arch or overly simplistic or result oriented. Take a pause and then reinterpret it into my own acting terms. So when I realized like that's what I had to do, like not be freaked out by the language that someone was using who didn't have my language. Right. Like let them, that's who they are. Let them be that person. Don't be mad at the dog for not being able to speak Spanish. You know, let them be who they are. Let them express what they need to express. Take a moment and then if I need to, reinterpret what they're saying and putting it into actor's terms so that then I can do it. And don't let them know that that's what I'm doing. Don't insult them. People can feel insulted. And you don't mean it to be that way. You really don't. You don't mean it to be that way. So it's tricky. It is. It is very tricky. There's there's an etiquette to how we deal with this collaborative medium. And it's often extremely delicate. Getting more delicate? 
Mm. Have you noticed that in rehearsal rooms? You talked about the freedom of your mm. father's generation to, oh my to God. scream oh, yeah, and shout oh, yeah. and all well, that sort and of that stuff. Wasn't, that wasn't great either. Mm, no, I mean, God knows. That no was one... abusive. <laughs> no one. <laughs> and, I mean, exciting. Right. And passionate. Sure. You know, and but kind not... of fun in its own perverse way. But do but I want... Not a safe space. Do I want to work no, in that? Sure. No, obviously not. No, sir. But no, have I you noticed that, that, that rehearsal rooms are a little more delicate? In terms of how we communicate with each other, I think everybody's in that place. Yeah. I think that's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's a necessary place to be. Yeah. Difficult when, when we deal with these gray areas of human right. yes behavior and human interaction. That's right. And that's right. And you want to be respectful while you're working, but you don't want to be careful. You need to be a little. What a needle to thread that yeah, is. Yeah, it is. It is. And I think everybody's trying to figure out how to evolve. You know, a much needed overdue evolution has to happen and then how do we how do, how do we do that so that it the art form just becomes better which i believe it it, it is and it, and it will be yeah but it is growing pains for everybody right yeah now. for everyone necessary yeah we haven't come up with our plan to save the theater yet i have no. one i have one do you suggestion tell me well it's not necessarily a suggestion it's an observation and you mm-hmm. talked about increase in audience What's the word? Rambunctiousness? Mm. Or, 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 I mean, of course, you know, mm. you've probably been keeping up with this. In my country, there's been extraordinary reports of vomiting, copulation, oh my God. fighting really? in the theatres, police having to be brought to break <laughs> yeah. up. Yeah. You know, suddenly it's there become. Was a, there was a fight. Elizabethan. In the, there was a fight in the, in the balcony the other night. No. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. We heard, like, rumbling, rumbling, rumbling. And someone went, I'm sorry! And, that, and then it stopped. So a sort of verbal altercation is mm. not a... That's yeah. You didn't find two mm-hmm. wrestling people yeah. falling no. out of the but dress circle? No, that, that didn't happen. Jesus. But the people falling asleep, the snoring, <laughs> the snoring. Right. I mean, <laughs> Do you think it's a post-pandemic thing? Because you hear it about, on airline travel too. People just... Mm cannot be bothered to be bound by these sort of whatever the sort of bourgeois or yeah. you know civic conventions I do of find decent that behavior audiences are other than like specific things i find the audiences are a little more attentive post-pandemic than they were before interesting okay yeah i'm surprised so not not rowdier not necessarily not rowdier less no. respectful no. of the idea no that i mean like yesterday like yesterday the matinee there were four phones that went off and then someone's watch went ding ding <laughs> ding and it wasn't timed on oh, your line Jesus when you could Christ. ignore you know, it just it just didn't stop but that's really it's been pretty good here i've got to say there've been the occasional thing but much more attentive than i thought it would be right well my plan to save the theater yes, it's not my plan go, but it's my go. observation about the theater is yes. if this is true yeah, yes. this is all sort of anecdotal if sort of less restrained behavior is on the rise, yeah. there's a school of thought which says, embrace that. Let the theater be less of a sort yeah. of polite place to be. Right. Encourage participation and stuff yeah. that feels like if you want to keep the live effect of the medium, yeah. what is the undiscovered part of that perhaps is yeah. what an audience might respond I wonder, with. I wonder if it's that audiences want the participation. I wonder if it's the more the direct address stuff is more satisfying to people now as opposed to sitting and watching. I you wonder know, if the, rather than closing it down and telling everyone to put their phones away. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's about not a that. great plan to save the theatre. We've got we've got better opportunities. <laughs> I think I think what you do 
is you spend very little money on sets. I think you you pay the actors properly to do well, great we plays. Start there. Let's just start Let's there, start shall there. we? I mean, honest, and um, honestly, it's such a scandal. I, I mean, mean it's I cannot, just the great. I mean, boast people culturally. No, people have no idea of London and New York and all the you know major cities wow. of the world is this this industry in which people are poor as church mice and go from job to job working with these extraordinary artists. They are extraordinary artists and they cannot make make rent and you're working ridiculous hours. Killing yourself, yeah. It's outrageous. When is that going to get? Anyway, but I had this idea that you do a film version of the play, but not a sort of televised, like a sort of NT live version where right. you film the play but right. you take the play out and reimagine right. it in a yeah. farmhouse in Connecticut I don't know wherever yeah. it might be because you've already distilled the life of that piece right. and so to translate it to this different would I not only be I think be artistically interesting but then you've got a product to sell yeah. at the end of it yeah, yeah. Bullshit idea. well but there's also something I, I wonder if as we become more and more separated from each other with phones with zoom with all of the technology that has both helped and hurt us, I think, socially and culturally. I wonder if, as the real live stuff becomes rarer and rarer, if that's going to make it more desirable in time, that people will come to the theater and be like, oh my God, because they're not experiencing anything live. Right. (laughs) I mean, they're not experiencing anything. People aren't congregating. And they're also not seeing... A performer line. It's the analog corrected you know, to our digital world. Yeah. But it doesn't seem to be working out like that post-pandemic. I mean, certainly in the UK, and I think yeah. in New I York too, audiences are not returning in the numbers yeah. that we all thought they would flock I'd back flock to that. Back. Maybe, and, it's, and it's generational also. Right. You know, the heavy theater goers are, are aging out. And yeah. it is, a real, it is a, a real concern. But I always do have faith that it will be okay. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There goes a lady, one of the greats. Please join me for part two. You really should. I Listen, you don't have to, but I, I think it would be advisable to join me for part two of our chat because you might want to know who Laura considers her sort of best male relationship of her life. The answer may surprise you. We role play in a rather rich and exciting way because I get to be a fourth year Juilliard drama student something I've kind of always wanted to be and in some ways many ways still feel myself close to that sort of sense of wet behind the ears naivety and uh, Laura Linney takes me out for lunch and gives me amazing advice and I um, exploit her good nature by ordering expensive food all right please join me for part two it's good stage 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 door Johnny stage 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 door Johnny